Welcome everybody to episode 234 of the Metabolus 2 podcast, which features David and Ben. And what are we talking about today, Ben? Um, we're doing a counterfactual thought experiment, <laughs> um, I think. Um, we have slipped, we have slipped into the eye patch world where everything is different. Mm -hmm. We're all members of some weird fascist party that's running Britain. And in that alternative universe, uh, Russell T. Davis did not reboot Doctor Who. It still exists as a thing, uh, but mm -hmm. in 2005, he rebooted uh, Shoestring um, with, uh, <laughs> with David Tennant as, as the eponymous Bristol-based DJ and detective. Um, Shoestring. I can't remember what Shoestring's first name was. They just called him Shoestring. Um, Never saw it. Uh, it's good. It's actually pretty good. It's like uh, it's written by someone. It's written by a Doctor Who person. Hang on, wait a second. To the internet. Here we go. Two seasons. Trevor Eve is shoestring, and he's both a DJ and also he's a detective in Bristol. Um, and it was created by Robert Banks Stewart. Terror of the Zygons and Seeds of Doom. Exactly. Yeah. And so there you go. So obviously Russell Davis became obsessed. Um, well, he's always, he's always been a huge fan of Shoestring. And Trevor Reeve comes back as Shoestring's dad or something, maybe. <laughs> um, but David, Tan <laughs> David Tennant is Eddie Shoestring and solves mysteries in Bristol. Um, he puts on a Bristol accent rather than uh, a kind of London accent. And that's what happens in 2005. Doctor Who's languishes still. It's a, it's a great fan property that everyone enjoys, but does not come back to TV. So looking back, what was our future? If it didn't come back in 2004 and RTD was busy with Shoestring yep. or Juliet Bravo or some other television property. Uh, uh, Billy, Billy Piper as Juliet Bravo. Excellent. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Billy Piper comes back in the rebooted um, uh, Juliet Bravo featuring a lady policeman. Mm -hmm. um, who solves lady-based crimes. Sort of like Diary of the Call Girl, but uh, a police procedural. Exactly. That's the one. That, and she's got one of those dinky little police hats. Um, basically, she looks like Amy Pond in the policeman's, in that policeman's outfit. Um, that so confused people in the 11th hour. <laughs> and oh, yeah, she's a, she's a strippogram. Um, she's not actually a policewoman. Anyway, so, yeah, so what is happening? Well, we have an anniversary. It's 2003. Yep. It's 40 years since Doctor Who uh, turned up. And we have uh, what we do have, um, and I think we still have this even in our alternative universe, is we have um, Scream of the Shalker. Richard E. Grant is the new Doctor. And I guess this is a uh, BBC online. Uh, James Goss commissioned or partially commissioned this from Cosgrove Hall. This is in tandem with the animation work, I think, that they were doing with the invasion. So we have... I, I guess that would be, would you say that was the most exciting thing in 2003 until we found out at the very end of the year that RTD is bringing back Doctor Who? Yeah, it was quite exciting. I mean, there were, I mean, there was that whole slew of um, kind of BBC sponsored audios. So Death Comes to Time, you know that one? Do you remember that one? Mm, no, I don't remember that one. Stephen Fry is in it. You know, yeah. he's the Minister of Chance. I missed that one entirely. Okay. Was that radio? Yeah, so there was a, there was a couple. There was Death Comes to Time, which was written by because I mean Schalke was Paul Cornell. Yep. Uh, Death Comes to Time was written by someone called Colin Meek. I don't know who that is. And then there was that Cybermen one as well. Uh, real Time. So there was Real Time with Colin Baker fighting the Cybermen, mm -hmm. and then there was Death Comes to Time, which was Sylvester, and I think Ace actually. And they were there was some shenanigans involving the master. Uh, so have, uh, you've not you've not heard these. You've you've not. Heard... I have not heard these. No. Uh, oh goodness! Well, um, you should look them up. You should look. I mean, they're pretty good-ish. Basically, it's like Schalke, in that it's kind of Doctor Who, but not Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. um, and Schalke is obviously kind of Doctor Who, but sort of not Doctor Who at the same time. Uh, real time, which is Colin Baker. Fighting the Cybermen is slightly more normal who. Mm -hmm. Exciting thing for comedy nerds is that it has Leon Herring, Richard Herring and Stuart Lee are in it um, as, as, as kind of bit parts, which is kind of amusing. 
Um, they're a big double act in the 90s, um, and they're still going. I mean, Stuart Lee is an amazing stand-up comedian, and they're kind of famously Doctor Who fans, basically, so they got to be in right. real time. Um, so those are two audio adventures. And those weren't Big Finish, because Big Finish was chugging along, and Zagreus was their anniversary extravaganza. Exactly. No, this was the BBC, I guess, kind of trying to get in on some of that juicy Big Finish money. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what I think, I think what it actually was, um, both of these were webcasts. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they're both the early 2000s. And Leica, I think actually, as I think has been kind of documented, basically the BBC kind of used Doctor Who as a kind of experimental platform for its kind of web-based activity. Because yeah. at that point, you know, the internet's still relatively new. Um, oh, sure, and they, yeah. And they, um, they knew that, that, you know, Doctor Who had a strong fan base Mm -hmm. So these two webcasts, Death Comes to Time and Real Time, um, and then Schalke, I think were all kind of experiments. Just, okay, what can we produce on the BBC, uh, you know, Doctor Who website? And again, at that time, it was a very, I mean, I used to visit that BBC Doctor Who site on, you know, a regular occasions because it was actually kind of cool. Mm -hmm. At that point, those were the sort of live action, um, not live action, they were the kind of actual dramas. And you said Cosgrove Hall did the, the kind of flash animation for yeah. um, for Schalke. Death Comes to Time had uh, Lee Sullivan images, which were not really animated. They're kind mm -hmm. of still, still, still images that were kind of flicked backwards and forwards. So again, you'd listen to this on the Doctor Who kind of fan site, BBC fan site, and then there would be these images would kind of scroll through as well. So anyway, mm -hmm. yeah. So the big thing on Cult Doctor Who that I always, I think that was Cult BBC or whatever. That, yeah, that's, I think it was. That was yeah, the yeah, website. Yeah. And the big thing that I always went to is they had the Telesnap novella. So then when the soundtracks were coming out, you could follow along on the stories that had that had Telesnaps on the BBC website. So that's kind of how I would listen to it. I have the CD and I have headphones on and then on dial-up. <laughs> clicking through the telesnaps as right, the soundtrack right. went on it was like your own uh, homebrew recon you could watch watch the story unfold as it went with the soundtracks were you you, you weren't listening to big finish at that time no not at all actually i probably didn't start listening to big finish until ooh, matt smith era i oh, interesting I, late adopter on it okay. uh, right. entirely interesting uh i think it takes a trained ear to understand the audio vocabulary that Big Finishes uses for its storytelling. And I had a hard time with coming from less of a radio drama background than many of the UK listeners doing, understanding that audio vocabulary that they were using to tell stories. And I found it more confusing than not. Interesting. Because, yeah, I think we've had this conversation before. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously with, with Radio 4, audio drama is... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a constant. And, you know, I grew up listening to various audio dramas on BBC Radio 4. So, again, you know, I think the, the toggle to something like Big Finish is absolutely, um, I think it's interesting the way you put it. Yeah, and you're the kind of grammar of, of how these, how those audios work, something that I was very used to. So, yeah, so, I mean, I think if we, if we go back to the original question, we've got... Well, I mean, let's stick with the BBC. So we have we have a couple of audio dramas which have kind of quasi-animation attached to them. And then we have an almost fully, and yeah, a kind of quasi-animated drama, um, which is which is Schalke. Those two audio dramas, obviously, you've got Colin Baker's Doctor and you've got Sylvester McCoy's Doctor. With Schalke, the BBC kind of makes the decision, okay, all right, this is actually working as a platform. People are engaging with this Doctor Who, you know, BBC cult site. Mm -hmm. um, let's give them a brand new Doctor and let's give them, in some ways, like a brand new Doctor Who world or Doctor Who universe. I mean, obviously, as, as, as I think both of us remember, um, Richard E. Grant's Doctor was quite spiky and grim and sort of taking that kind of um, is he good, is he bad, sex Doctor feeling and kind of running with it mm -hmm. and you know the idea of you know the master being a robot who lives inside the TARDIS and blah 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 I didn't really care for it at the time to be right. honest I couldn't get into it at the time and this was 2003 and uh, flash animation over dial-up 
in my low bandwidth setting, it just was not on. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't get into it. I just wasn't able to get into Richard E. Grant as the doctor. It wasn't that he was spiky. He was just like uncaring. And I felt that Grant was kind of phoning in his performance. He well, this is, this is, this is, this is, that's Russell T. Davis, right? Who says that too about it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Really? Okay. Watching it last night, it's sort of like, yeah, I could see why I didn't get into this because if your story is being carried primarily by sound to have something that has such an, a horrible sound with the Schalke screams. <laughs> Scream of the Schalke, it, right. It's just sort of, it's sort of like, I don't want to listen to this. This is unpleasant. The one standout in that story for me was Sophie Akinoto. Akinoto, yeah. Akinoto, yeah, yeah. who play, went on to play Liz 10 right. in uh, Moffat era. But she was totally convincing as, as the companion. I can't remember the companion's name now, but. Alison Cheney. Cheney, yeah, that's why I had oh the Lon Cheney joke of hairy hands. Ha. Right, right, right. So it had good characterization for Allison. So there's stuff that Cornell is trying to do, but the format just didn't lend itself to it. And I think it was sabotaged by the performance of Grant, who I didn't think cared at all. So if RTD said similar things, yeah. Yeah, um, I can um, tell. I mean, I've, I've got the RTD quote hit somewhere. Hang on, because I, I, I was kind of looking it up. Um, oh, here we go. <clears throat> Davis later commented, this is from Wikipedia, that Grant had never been considered for the role in the television series, telling Doctor Who magazine, I thought he was terrible. I thought he took the money and ran, to be honest. It was a lazy performance. He was never on our list to play the Doctor. Huh. Harsh criticism there from yeah. the young Davis. And that was in, wait a second, it was an interview in Doctor Who magazine number 360, it says here. Yeah, I so I also, I couldn't get into it. I actually, I enjoyed the two audio adventures, though Death Comes to Time was like, okay, this is weird because this isn't really the Time Lords at all. This is something completely different, um, even though, you know, it's Sophie and Sylvester. Um, but, I mean, they were audios, so, I mean, I right. could, I could, I was well able to get into those. This, Schalke, with the kind of not entirely successful flash animation, combined with audio, combined, as we've both been pointing out, you know, a less than... In, I mean, you know, Richard E. Grant, he's a, he's a very mannered actor to start with. Mm-hmm. And I always think he is kind of a Doctor Who actor um, or an actor who should play the Doctor because he sort of always plays a version of himself. Right. He's not very versatile. I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. I think he's a fascinating individual and I think he's a really good character, really good actor. But he tends to to be, to play himself, basically. Hmm. Um, he's like He's like a Tom Baker style actor. Um, well, basically, Tom Baker is always Tom Baker. Richard E. Grant is always Richard E. Grant. And I just didn't feel that that fitted the script in any kind of way. And again, I'm just agreeing with you. I can see why Paul went with an audio monster of some kind. You know, OK, well, this is going to be primarily your people are going to be listening to this on headphones. They're going to be watching on their laptop. Let's make mm-hmm. the monster have like an audio component. But that audio component is so grating and unpleasant as it should be. It's a monster. Right. It makes the whole thing very hard to listen to so you know just again thinking you know sort of extrapolating our original question where we would have gone after Schalke I don't know how successful Schalke was I think they did commission or had in the works and a sequel to it with Grant okay okay but it all was quietly (laughs) swept under the rug or done away with when I think in November the Telegraph had a story in that RTD was bringing back, was asked to be by the BBC to bring back Doctor Who, or it okay. certainly was in DWM at the end of November, or right. in November's issue, Clayton Hickman, who was the editor at the time, just kind of squeezed something in. And then even in the December issue, there it was very scant, scant information. So by the 40th anniversary, it was known that BBC was going to recommission Doctor Who from... RTD, but up until then, it was if you. I, I was just looking through old back issues of DWM. It was all, all about Schalke. All about Schalke. But in the issue, I guess in the very issue where Richard D. E. Grant was on the cover and stuff, like on page five, just right in when they're talking in the Gallifrey Guardian of all the news, 
Hickman has this this very short brief that RTD is Doctor Who's new producer. It's coming back on BBC One. And the rug was pulled out under Schalke and Richard E. Grant's support because it was up until that point official BBC. I guess yeah. it still is official BBC, but it, it just sort of like, okay, you're trying to big up Schalke, but here you have saying, well, really don't pay any attention to it because the real Doctor Who's coming back next yeah, yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just, sorry. Just look. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. Apparently, there's a black archive on Shalker. I didn't know that actually. That's probably one I won't be buying. Um, <laughs> the sequel story was, was going to be called Blood of the Robots. Okay, Ooh, don't know what that's about. Um, probably the then, master. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could be. Um, yeah, there was obviously some kind of arc going on there. With um, you know, Paul Cornell should be asked about this. We need to. There needs to be a panel. There needs to be a panel at Gallifrey One. He needs to be quizzed about Schalke. Anyway, apparently this Black Archive also, the book also revealed that Big Finish audio drama Immortal Beloved was a, was originally intended as a Schalke sequel before being adapted to feature the Eighth Doctor. Hmm. So, yeah, I think the visuals I found off-putting as well. Um, I, I, the... You know, the kind of visual design for Richard E. Grant is a kind of sort of eyeshadow, Max Schrenk, quasi-vampire-looking figure. Looked weird. Well, especially in comparison to all the other characters. It's sort of like, okay, you have a cartoon character as the Doctor, but everyone else was realistically drawn. So he didn't even fit in within the story that, in the, in, within the Shulka story. He's, he just stood out as weird. Yeah, yeah, which I guess was, I don't know, maybe that's the point, that, you know, it's, he's an alien or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so obviously there's some, there was some kind of art going on, obviously the Master isn't going to be a robot the whole time. Right. And so again, it was sort of then, you know, the Master being inside another thing, I felt sort of connected back to the TV movie. And of course, as everyone knows, Richard E. Grant was in With Nail and I, with Paul McGann, so there's sort of a sort of a, a connection there, and I'm a you know big, obviously a big Withnail fan, so that was exciting. Yeah, on that, I thought that was perhaps even lazy casting for the Shulka Doctor, just yeah, to yeah. go, okay, McGann was in Withnail and I, and so let's get his co-star, let's get Richard E. Grant in there. It, it didn't even seem very inspired. It seemed, it seemed like to me that I'm guessing James Goss is also a fan of Withnail and I, and it just would make sense to Doctor Who fans. Back in 2003, okay, we're going to cast Richard E. Grant as the next Doctor. And I don't even know if there's a lot of, uh, there probably wasn't even auditioning going. I sort of like talked to his agent, hey, do you want to read Doctor Who? Do you, want to, read, do you, do you want to read the script out? Yeah, I'll, I'll read the script out for you. You know, and how much? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm not sure that, I mean, I don't know. And this might have been on a DVD extra, all the behind the scenes of Shalka when it came out, but that honestly, it's a DVD that I gave a pass to. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, um, Richard, Richard E. Grant was—he was in the—he uh, was in uh, the Curse of the Fatal Death. Um, so he was one of the doctors there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in something called Posh Nosh, which was a again a kind of it was a kind of a short. It would actually had David Tennant in it too. In fact, I um, it's actually. It's worth looking up. If you haven't seen Posh Mosh, it's Posh Nosh, it's kind of funny, um, but it's kind of short bites, pun intended, TV show, which again, I think was sort of geared to people watching it kind of online rather on the TV. Mm-hmm. So all that, all this stuff was kind of flapping around at the time. And, he, and he's, he's, he's very good in Posh Nosh. I guess I'm going back to my original point. How, who would have developed? Would they have continued to push the Richard E. Grant Schalke arc, or would they have taken a leaf out of um, Big Finish's book and just gone back, gone back to original Doctors, you know, most of whom were still kind of kicking around and kind of ready to do some work? Hmm. Or, again, as, as I think happened, you know, in the kind of early, early 2010s, actually just kind of worked directly with Big Finish. And you'll find it on various BBC radio stations broadcast Big Finish dramas um, as part of their drama right. stream. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Well, I think the choice of using Big Finish in the 2010s was more forced on them by a change in the way the BBC studio system work, where everything is being in, moved from in-house to outside contractors. 
Oh yeah, obviously yeah. So there's a freedom there, so they can actually use right. Big Finish. Yeah. So true. at the time in 2003, BBC was more taking back or reclaiming their properties. So like the Virgin Missing Adventures and New Adventures line had died down. Instead, BBC had its own novel range. True, 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 true. So I think for the immediate future, we would have had the Shulka Doctor. And if they didn't commission it on BBC One, Big Finish would have tried to get Richard E. Grant to do audio dramas too, maybe after when we had the 10th Doctor instead of the 9th Doctor as Richard E. Grant. He would have been then taking up as McGann's as their current doctor or something like that. So I would imagine that they would have run with it because the force of the BBC was behind it saying Richard E. Grant is the doctor until RTD said, nope, the ninth doctor is Eccleston and we're going, we're just going to not do anything (laughs) with with Richard E. Grant. I mean, it is, it is actually kind of interesting that the RTD reboot um, and I th- again, you know, I think this is a, this is now a kind of a truism and doesn't need examining. But the RTD reboot really looked at what could make the show successful and thought about uh, how can this be a show that everybody would want to watch rather than fans of Doctor Who. And I think the genius of RTD was to kind of sweep away. OK, the fans are going to watch it anyway. It was almost like a sort of, you know, like a Bill Clinton kind of, you know, triangulation sort of, you know, third way thing. Okay, you know, these people are mm-hmm. gonna are gonna watch whatever we do as long as it's got Doctor Who written on it. So how do we make it so that everyone else wants to watch it as well? Let's forget about the fans completely. And that's what was genius about it. And I think where the Richard E. Grant and the Schalke stream was sort of almost immediately running into the sand is it was full of fan service. And it was basically, it was written for fans of the show. Um, It was a niche, narrow cast piece of broadcasting, narrow cast slash broadcast. It wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, my, I think as the, as the 2000s progressed, in our alternative universe start to slip into the 2010s, I think the cost of doing animation and uh, and again you know we've as doctor who fans we we we're now we're, we're very cognizant of how expensive animation is to do mm. uh, especially when that animation is is only directed to really towards pre-existing fans of the show right, um, right. i don't think that shark doctor would have gone anywhere i think they would have done a couple more Richard Grant hopefully would have tried to beef up his performance a little bit. Though, as I said, you know, he is a very mannered actor. This is kind of how he appears. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they would have stopped it. I feel they would have reverted to pure audio dramas and I think they would have reverted to using old doctors. And I feel that there would have been either, you know, the license would have been taken back from Big Finish and this would be a completely BBC organised drama stream or again as as again happened in the early 2000s they would have just commissioned big finish to make these things right. and whether they would have continued to be online i'm not entirely sure i mean kind of you know streamable i mean sort of your know, podcast in inverted commas drama that's really a creature of the last the mid 2010s the BBC, you know, they don't really have a kind of dedicated Doctor Who web presence anymore. It's not something that sort of happens, you know, now where it's all kind of YouTube stuff. Uh, right. How how they would have projected Doctor Who into that kind of media landscape, not entirely sure. But I I I, I really the I don't think the Shaka Doctor would have would have gone anywhere at all. And I think they would have I said they would have gone to pure audio. And they would have continued to commission and publish the books, mm-hmm. you know, which were you know, pretty solid sellers to fans and people who are curious to pick up something with that logo on it. Yeah, they would certainly keep the tat going at least out at a trickle rate to generate some revenue for worldwide. Uh, I'm thinking like what Big Finish was doing in 2003, and that was the year that they released uh, Doctors Unbound. Oh, of course, right. The six alternate Doctors, which in a kind of an uncanny way is kind of like the Timeless Children Doctors with all the Doctor Splinters where you have alternative Doctors. So even Big Finish was, I think, feeling the constraints of only having four actors playing the main role. And as we 
learn 20 years later they're a machine they want to churn out as much material as possible right, they have right. stuff recorded of actors who've passed on and they wanted to get as much out as possible so they were trying to expand what they could do with doctor who with their license too so i i wonder if we would have seen more of the wilderness years splinterization of doctor who of many different actors taking on the role with many different storylines so i would imagine that the license would be more splintered and fractured rather right. than having like this very right. strong presence on bbc one yeah and i think the point you make about unbound is interesting um i haven't really sort of thought of it as a as a as an attempt to discover what additional doctors might be like i mean i think it's also it's interesting that obviously they ran with david warner uh who mm-hmm. I think famously really enjoyed doing those audio dramas and became an alternative universe doctor. Um, they linked him up with um, right. Benny Summerfield. Um, and, you know, they had adventures in different universes. Um, it's obviously clear that Derek Jacobi, though I've never seen an interview with him where he kind of makes this explicit, is a Doctor Who fan of some kind. Must be. Played the robot master and then came back to play the master in Utopia. Exactly. He's so he's he's obviously up for it and I think kind of enjoys that kind of thing. And again, both Jacoby and Warner are kings of British acting drama. You know, well I think stage less for David Warner because he's famously stage fright is his is, is one of his problems. But in movies and on TV, radio, um Jacoby again on stage and on film and on TV. What we could have seen, uh, and I think actually kind of would be exciting, and actually it's really a sort of a little bit happened with Big Finish, but really more as a spin off the TV show, you know, with John Hurt taking over the War Doctor before his, before his sad, sad demise. Um, we'd get some big hitting British actors right. being alternative doctors or alternative masters. Big Finish is really interesting because it does have this call and response relationship with British actors and also with the RTD rebooted show where actors who've been on that show who are quite kind of high up in the rankings then do some Big Finish. I could see that happening. I could see, you know, David Warner telling his mates, well, you know, this is actually really a lot of fun um, and the pay's pretty good and, you know, you can knock it off in an afternoon. You know, Patrick Stewart, you know, you should go and do one of those. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see that happening. It's weird, you know, we're talking about an alternative future where Big Finish is successful and is churning out regular dramas. That's exactly what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not really an alternative universe. But I could see them having even higher status actors involved. Mm -hmm. And they were the first, well, I guess if you discount Joanna Lumley in uh, Curse of the Fatal Death, the Unbound also had a woman as a doctor, too. Yeah. As the doctors. That was Arabella Weir, right? Played- yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which again I think is, is kind of interesting because so I'm I'm not gonna back to to, to um plugging Posh Nosh with Richard E. Grant and David Tennant. Um that was an Arabella Weir written comedy show. So and that's that's all on YouTube actually. I just looked it up as we were talking. Um so definitely check that out, fans of alternative doctor stuff. Uh, I mean I I actually felt that that that, that Unbound was the weakest of the of the Unbounds, um, mm-hmm. and was clearly more about one of the producers at. And I, I, I'm just I, I don't know this, but it, it seemed to me it's about the producers at Big Finish having a crush on Arabella Weir um, more <laughs> more than anything else, because uh, you know she's a funny lady, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I could see that happening, and uh, as you said, you know, we I think we would have a rich, splintered. Doctor Who universe. And again, I think your comment is absolutely, you know, on the nose, kind of like where we are now with the Timeless Doctors. Yeah. Everyone's a doctor. Mm-hmm. Big Finish didn't do Jacoby as the master and Warner as the doctor in the same production. Did they? That would have been a great pairing, but I don't think they did that. I don't think so. No. Yeah. That no. would have been a, that would have been a, I think a very listenable audio drama oh god yeah i mean david warner i you know he's again a huge loss to the kind of world of drama but he's you know Mm -hmm. he's one of those actors that whatever he's in he's good in it Mm -hmm. and he makes you know very very prolific genre actor of the kind of christopher lee kind where basically okay this movie is crap but it's got david warner in it so it's good you know he was that kind of actor you know he's the 
kind of assassin in um, Titanic and you know, anything, any, any kind of dreck that he's in, he makes it awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, which, which, I mean, Jacoby as well is just an astounding, you know, just a great Shakespearean actor. Mm-hmm. And to see those two together, I think, again, you know, one kind of dream casting for me would be the Schalke Doctor, Richard E. Grant, and then the Eighth Doctor being together. So like, a, you know, it's like a... Uh, like a doctor meet up Paul McGann and, and <laughs> Richard E. Grant, and it's a kind of it's the Withnail Doctors. Doctor Who, as rebooted by RTD, I think became such a huge BBC property, it became necessary to have it be very, very disciplined. Mm-hmm. And the kind of explosion, uh, sort of crash and burn, uh, which happened around DWM and the, 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 the columnist, um, the other Briggs. Not Nicholas Briggs. Um, Peg. Oh, Nicholas Peg. That's it. You know, which 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 kind of wrenched Doctor Who magazine away from this kind of independent piece of kind of ah everything journalism to something as it is, I think, still is nowadays really a lot more rigid right. um, and controlled. I think we would have had more of a flowering of just general kind of fan-made lunacy, mm-hmm. which actually probably could have been a lot of fun. Because Doctor Who wouldn't have been an important BBC property. Uh, let's just say for, the, for some reason, nobody wanted to reboot it on the television at all. Right. Um, it would then have become more of what it was, basically. Yeah, with, I think, more novels, more splintering. I think by 2003, Doctor Who really had fan ownership. Right. I think we saw it as our own property more, and we had different camps. We had the purest camps because the DVDs were coming out at that time. So, like, big news in 2003 was the alternative uh, CGI for Dalek Invasion of Earth, where they updated special effects. Right, that right. Was, that was – so you'd have purists, and I probably would have fallen into this camp where just give me the VHS, just give me the DVD – and that's the Doctor Who. I'm not going to waste my time on this uh, malarkey of novels or big finish stuff that's hard to obtain in the U.S. Just give me, just give me my shiny disc. Or you have, I think, more British fans, which are going more in the creative vein of novels and uh, audio dramas, and even, even like. Uh, James Goss, who was in BBC Interactive with Cult Doctor Who, commissioning recons and commissioning the Shulka Doctor, effectively. So I wonder if there would have been a, even more stratification between British and um, North American American fans because of uh, getting... This was still the age of physical media and getting CDs, so Big Finish was a pricey option. Yeah, because, well, I mean, I think until downloadable or kind of listenable online drama, yes, it was a pricey option. Uh, I mean, I bought into Brig Finish at the very, very beginning. I still have the first disc around somewhere, and I bought into that because I felt, okay, well, you know, this is something that is... um, this this needs my support and you know i bought them pretty consistently for about a decade mm-hmm. from the you know early uh, from the late 1990s to i think pretty much maybe 2005 2006 actually you know I've, i think i stopped investing in inverted commas uh, i've stopped buying them when the when the show when i started to watch the show again you know in in, mm. in 2004 i think that's when i really kind of stopped buying Big finish regularly. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously it's impossible to say, okay, for RTD didn't reboot the show, whether anyone else would have done. I mean, I think the kind of, the kind of non-fan BBC exec wisdom was that the TV movie in 96 had been an abject failure. Yeah. And there's no point in doing it on television anymore. So I don't think there would have been a movie. I think one of the things that kind of stymied Doctor Who through the 90s in terms of new drama was this idea, well, you know, maybe there's going to be a movie. Maybe Steven Spielberg's going to make a Doctor Who movie. I think the 96 TV movie knocked all of that completely on the head. And I think that's actually, obviously, you're wanting it to be a success kind of resulted in the BBC gathering back a lot of its properties to itself. And when it wasn't a success, you know, I think they continued sort of sitting on those, the book line, etc. And they would just continue doing that. And I think it would have been, 
I think now, I think we're looking back from the vantage point of 2023 and there having been no reboot in in 2004 slash 2005, I think we'd be looking at um, kind of Babylon 5 style sort of niche property that was sort of very, very active and very interesting for people who already were interested in it. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't, it, obviously, there wouldn't be the kind of global uh, media property that Doctor Who is now. That is all down to RTT. Yeah, I think looking at people who would have wanted to bring it back, I'm sure Mark Gatos at the time would have been all over it if he had the uh, experience to do be producing in Doctor Who because he had done the, the comedic shorts and stuff. Of course. But I kind of wondered if Anthony Horowitz, who did Foil's War in 2002, when that came out, it was on ITV, it was yeah, a yeah. World War II mystery series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's what ITV commissioned after Inspector Morse. I wonder if someone like Horowitz, who I think has expressed interest at at some point in time of doing Doctor Who, if like by 2006, 2007 timeframe that BBC would have tried to give uh, give someone else a go, give it an established producer, a Doctor Who. And I think it would have been perhaps a more conservative take and not politically conservative, but less uh, a more traditional approach to Doctor Who, where we went to have moved it into the realm of soap. It would have been more it would have been more of a mystery. Try to solve the sci fi mystery story every every week, every episode. Yeah. Or every every it probably would have been hour long you know 55 minute long episodes and you'd probably string together two or three episodes right right yeah and i think that's interesting it's the soap element of who that made it such that made the rtd reboot such a huge success Mm -hmm. and by success i mean people other than fans liked it i think anything else uh, I think a, a kind of, you know, sci-fi time-traveling mystery of the week show, I think would have been fine. You know, there's that Randall and Hopkirk deceased that Reeves and Mortimer kind of rebooted in the in the mid-2000s. I think, well, actually, I think a lot of those were on the back of the success of rebooting Doctor Who. But still, there's a desire to kind of look back through old properties and see what people could do with them. And, yeah, more kind of low-key kind of space Sherlock Holmes. I could definitely see that happening, yeah. Yeah. Or the alternative is you do something like Matt Berry in Toast of London. (laughs) And so that, I mean, that came out like, what, 2012, I think? Something like that, yeah. But that's, that's, again, Matt Berry, obviously a huge Doctor Who fan, and you would do it as a send-up. You would do sort of more of a Red Dwarf. Doctor Who is now, it's laughing at itself. It's doing more comedic type, episodes i guess it would be uh the graham williams douglas adams but just we're going entirely for the laughs right 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 yeah we'll, we, we're going to treat this show as a as the joke that it definitely could be um yeah. you know it certainly can work as a joke i mean curse of the fatal death is a great example of that you know it's basically a spoof but it's it's mm-hmm. done very seriously and you know it, and it works as a piece of comedy so, yeah, love to see Matt Berry as Doctor Who. Still, I'd still love to see Matt Berry as Doctor Who or the Master. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Matt Berry as the Doctor and Tracy Ann Olbermann as his uh, there companion. You go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, I, 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 I mean, I guess obviously we don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> what What would have happened? Um, and unfortunately, I think our conclusion, based largely on our ignorance, was it would be like as it was, only more so. Yeah, I think that's probably what have been. It would have been continuing on. We would have seen splinterization and whoever could get the Doctor Who license for whatever media product that they wanted to produce. And that's the way it would have gone. It was entirely driven for fans. I'm not sure we would have gotten new fans and... Now, what, 20 years later, I'm confident we wouldn't see Tom Baker back doing Doctor Who on no. Big Finish. It would be even more of a nerd property. Gallifrey One convention probably would have about 50 or 100 people coming to it. It just would have been seen as this relic of late, mid-20th century. Right. And 
I would imagine it would be kind of a long drawn out death. Yeah, yeah, like a like a slow lack of interest. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I can you know, obviously, one can remember how everyone was into Firefly for like huge amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then people sort of started to get not interested in it again. Right. And I can see it just kind of die, basically sort of dying off. Whether we would have got the DVDs to the extent that we have now, I think probably the BBC would have gone for doing all the DVDs. Whether they would have done animations, I'm not entirely sure that they would have done. Mm-hmm. Whether we would have got Blu-rays, yes, probably, but they would have been a lot more in the way that they've sold Blake 7, where we're just going to stick it on a disc. Yep. And we're not really going to do any restoration for you. There's not going to be a lot of VAM, but here you are. If you want to watch it, here it is. You can buy it. So I think that kind of amazing archive activity that we've had on the on the DVDs and restoration and, you know, the, the whole the whole vidfire thing and animations and having all that thousands and thousands of pages of background documents on the Blu-rays. I don't think we, we would have got any of that. Um, it mm. would be a lot more kind of Blake 7. I think Blake 7 is actually where I'm going with this. It would be, it would be like that. It's good for people that like that kind of thing. Do you think we would have uh, had more missing episode recoveries? Oh, interesting. We had the two um, episodes of the DMP returned by Francis Watson, who was a BBC engineer in 2004. That's when they uh, released the Lost in Time compilations, the orphan episodes on uh, DVD. Do you think we would have seen more missing episode returns? Do you think we would have had uh, Enemy and Web back? Well, I think I think um, what's his name, the fine Phil Morris, yeah, but, yeah, Morris guy. I think he probably would have still gone around, like you know, trying to find stuff in Nigeria. I think that definitely would have happened. I think there probably would have been more returns because I think collectors would be, you know, okay, w- wouldn't be kind of jealously hanging on to something that they feel has a huge amount of value because it's such a huge property. Hmm. If Doctor Who was just another piece of BBC junk. Uh, it's the last episode of Blake Seven. Oh yeah, you can have that. That's fine. I don't really care. So I, I possibly, I think we would have got more returns. Hmm. I'm not convinced that collectors are hanging on to it. I think what's mostly happening is they just, it's just not their uh, interest. Their film collectors are interested in film True. and not so much television on film. And it's just a matter of knowing that they have something like with Tony Burnett with Galaxy 4 and the episode of Underwater Menace. It's sort of like, really, this stuff is missing? Here, take it. I don't care. It's not my interest. I just think it's a matter of we're at a point now with having film collectors passing on to the great cinema in the sky and their family just rubbish binning their collections because it's just a bunch of old film. And so there's... There's a little bit of hoarding that comes on with collecting, speaking as a person who just eliminated half of his book collection. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the bad half, I hope. Yeah. Well, decisions had to be made. And part of the, yeah, anyways, part of our remodeling was we're reducing the amount of clutter because realistically, our kids do not want all our junk. True. That is true. So Rita, my wife, is really good at weeding her book collection, but I have over 50 years worth of books, and some things were duplicates, triplicates, and others I just had no interest in maintaining all my college textbooks and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, true, true. It was time it to is, let go. It is. Time yep. to let go. Oh. Lots of pounds of books. Anyway, Anyways. Yep. Same thing with uh, film collectors is you collect things, and as long as you have room on the shelf to store something, you keep it around, and you have it there in case you want to trade. Somebody else might be interested in the future, or or maybe it would. Maybe that's the tangent you want to go down to. So you have one episode of Doctor Who. Maybe you'll be on the lookout for more and try to string together an entire story rather than just have a few orphan episodes. Who knows how your whim of collecting would go. But uh, I think mostly the danger right now is film collectors who may have collected this stuff in the 80s or 90s now... They're dying, and their family might just say, you know, let's get rid of Grandpa's old rubbish. You know, oh. let's, let's just uh, rubbish tip right, it right. because uh, we want to sell the house. We want to get the property on the market, and the shed in the garden really isn't doing us any favors to having it full of old, uh, old, film. old film cans. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, maybe we'd have, we would have lost a lot more. 
Uh, so it's hard to say. I mean, we had the the non Philip Morris returns were a couple odd episodes of DMP, and then an odd episode from Galaxy Four and Underwater Menace. So right, there right. might not be a lot out there. Yeah. So yeah, hard to say. Yeah. And I don't think Doctor Who would be even as much in the public's eye without being on BBC One than it is today. I mean, it would it, like you said, there's been this niche dying Doctor Who product for the youngest people who remember it on were are 40 years old now. Right, 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 right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and who knows if we'd be doing a podcast because as it really was it coming back on television that I think rekindled my interest in fandom to a degree other than, you know, just I want a complete run of uh, VHS tapes for my collection. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yes, as I said, it would would become an increasingly niche property. Though, again, I mean, you know, this is the problem with kind of, I mean, I don't actually agree with counterfactuals at all. I'm more of a Marxist when it comes to history. Um, I think things happen and things things will always happen. Mm-hmm. It does not hinge. History does not hinge on the actions of great men. History is a is an inescapable tide of, um, of entirely predictable occurrences. So, actually, what I think would have happened is that someone else would have rebooted it. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been RTD. I think there were so many fans of the show that were coming to high level positions within broadcast media that I think it would have happened. It would have been somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now, would it be Moffat? Would it have been Gatiss? Would it have been someone we've literally never heard of? Right. I don't know. But I think actually the reboot would always would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the question is really, um, and I think we're coming to a natural end of our conversation, I think the question really is not if, but when and who. Mm-hmm. And I think a question for a, you know another hour's worth of conversation would be okay if not Davis, then what would it have been like if it had been Gatiss from the very beginning, right. or Moffat from the very, very beginning, or Goss or whoever? Mm-hmm. I think that's the real question. Yeah, so it inevitably would have come back. Whether it would have yes. been successful as RTD made it, that's another question too. And I think that depends on the showrunner and the chief writer right. on. And the cast, obviously, Billy Piper and Christopher Eccleston made this into this juggernaut and then is just catapulted up in, you know, overdrive with Tennant. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you've got three incredibly successful genre TV writers in Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall and Russell T. Davis. Mm-hmm. You know, if we say Russ, Russell T. Davis is rebooting Shoestring with... Um, David Tennant, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe Chibnall comes in. Um, uh, and, you know, I think both of us agree that the Chibnall era was not the greatest. Maybe he makes a you know pig's ear of it and um, it kind of goes away again. Mm. Um, it would have happened much later with Chibnall. Chibnall really was under the wing of RTD with Torchwood. Okay. Same yeah. thing with Gatiss. Gatiss really isn't a producer. He's a writer-director. So he works alongside Moffat. So of the people we know, Moffat seems like the most likely with his um, comedic uh, productions. Right, uh, right. Coupling, right. I think, was one of them. Yeah. So this is where I would just fall flat on my face. I don't know enough of the British TV landscape of the mid-2000s to see who else would have been. I mean, my one thought was, as I said earlier, with uh, Anthony Horowitz, basically doing a foils war type doctor who where you'd have michael kitchens as the doctor honeysuckle weeks as the companion and it would be a very it'd be a very traditional solve the mystery over the course of two three episodes type doctor who and it'd probably be more earth-based than anything yeah because it's you know it's it's uh, as, as as everyone knows it's kind of cheaper to do it that way you could also do the doctor is retired and, you know, have the retired Sherlock Holmes approach where he, the doctor is raising bees, but occasionally he tries to keep his village from being invaded by the Zygons or <laughs> the Rutans or something like that. Uh, here come the Zygons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on the South Downs mm-hmm. raising bees in a little cottage. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this continues to be an interesting question, mm-hmm. I think. You the know. what ifs. 
the what ifs. Yeah, yeah. I think it's safe to say that we're both uh, very thankful that RTD did get the commission to bring back Doctor Who. We love RTD. Yep, and we're excited. We're excited to be able to cover the uh, the specials yep. when they arrive in November, which is really only mm-hmm. in month twenty and a bit years away. time. We'll be having this conversation. What if RTD didn't come back for the sixtieth <laughs> <laughs> anniversary? What would have happened post Chibnall? Whether whether or not Doctor Who would have been retired and put on the shelf for a while, or yeah, you know, what exactly would have happened? Yeah, I, well, maybe that is actually an interesting question. Maybe that maybe we could cover that kind of I don't know next year or something when the when the when the new era has begun. Yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed, or perhaps next episode. We'll have to see how it goes. We will, we will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this this is a. I was going to say difficult conversation, but people use that phrase when it actually is a difficult conversation. This is a conversation that requires thought, perhaps more than usual. <laughs> yes. We can't coast on our lifetime of viewing fumes. Viewing fumes. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to our viewing fumes. Um, yeah, I, 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 exactly. All right. Well. Okay. Thank you for listening to episode 234 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been uh, wondering what if Doctor Who didn't come back with RTD in 2004 with Ben. And I have been inhaling the viewing fumes <laughs> with David. I love that phrase. Diesel-powered television. Exactly. See ya. Till the next time. Goodbye. Um, uh, that was yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting conversation. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah.